Hey, good morning. Good morning. If you turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 17, that's where we'll pick up this week. If you're a visitor this morning, we're doing a study through the book of Exodus. If you're uh, part of the church, you realize this because I think today is sermon. Where's Jay Lynn at? Today is sermon number 30, and we're only through 17 chapters. So uh, not looking good for you all. Not looking good for you all. But, but, uh, turn with me, and uh, we'll get into this week's uh, portion of this text in chapter 17, we're actually going to be uh, looking at 8 through 16. We're going to close out this chapter. You remember last week I told you when we opened this chapter, I said that this, this is a chapter of conflict, internal conflict and external conflict. And uh, you guys know uh, last week what happened, just give you kind of a little review to kind of catch up to where we're going to pick up today. Last week, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, had, had journeyed. Uh, they had had multiple layovers or multiple stops. They had moved from place to place, and they had arrived in a place called Rephidim, which actually means, translating the Hebrew, it means rests, plural, like multiple rests. So when you're thinking about being in a place of rest, the thing that you're not considering is conflict, right? You know, if God's going to bring you to a place of rest, you're thinking conflict-free. Well, the beautiful thing about the gospel and the love of Jesus is that His love empowers us, encourages us uh, uh, to, to realize that we can live in peace even in conflicting situations, right? And uh, so they're in this place Rephidim, and when they arrived there, um, they recognized that there was no water in Rephidim, right? And uh, when they realized this, they began to quarrel against Moses. The reality is, the, is simply because God had led them to Rephidim, then God's provision is in Rephidim. The water wasn't in a stream or a well, but the water was in a rock. And we know that in hindsight, after Moses strikes the rock, the water pours uh, pours forth, right? Uh, gushes forth. And, uh, but uh, one of the things, whenever we come into a situation like that, that appears to be difficult, one of the things we touched on last week, Matthew, was that we have to remember the record of God and His provision over our lives. We have to draw strength from the, the times in the past, Ronnie, where God has shown Himself. And, and we have to kind of gather courage from uh, the faithfulness of God on record. And uh, what ends up happening, instead of remembering the many things God has done, they begin to revolt against Moses. And as a matter of fact, when we looked at the scripture and we studied it, we begin to realize that it wasn't just this uh, uprising but it, or, or just a, a simple little revolt or a little bit of a bickering. I mean, it, this was a full-blown kind of a, 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 a riot-type mob mentality. Moses even goes to God, and this is what he says to, to, to God, they're about to stone me. And we touched on that last week, didn't we? About the fact that how does he conclude that other than possibly when the congregations of people had gathered around and they rose up against Moses, that someone somewhere in the group maybe begin to cry out, let's stone him. He articulates this to God. God ends up intervening, and God provides water. He tells Moses to strike the rock, right? And so God, once again, rises to the occasion. 
meets the challenge of a lack in the lives of his children and divinely, divinely provides for them. The sad thing about it, and we touched this, right, guys, was that the children of Israel were saying, and the scripture reveals this, is God with us or not? Is the Lord with us or not? And the whole time they were saying that, right, they had a mouth full of manna, which he provided every single day. And yet they had the audacity to, to question God's presence and provision in their life while they stood there with a stomach full of manna, a palate satisfied with manna, and feet in muddy grounds where the water just poured forth. And sometimes we do that, right? Sometimes Trent does that. Yeah, not just you. Sometimes I, do. Sometimes I, I, I lose perspective, Nolan. And, and I get blindsided and overwhelmed by circumstances. I think we all do that. We're all vulnerable and susceptible to that. And we have to discipline ourselves to kind of push through. And, and we have to remember. We, we have to trust in, in all these things. But what we find in the children of Israel isn't something that's foreign to you or I. We're not so much different. As a matter of fact, a, a gentleman I met last week, a Roger and and Kelly, we, we were sitting up here talking, and we talked about uh, how, how uh, we hadn't changed that much. As a matter of fact, I'd go so far as to say we haven't changed at all. We are these kinds of people. You know, we, we, we respond in a very similar, in a similar manner. Well, the, 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 the situation in those first seven verses revealed this internal conflict that the children of Israel were having. And what happens next is the very first engagement of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Real warfare with the children of Israel and opposing a group of people, the Amaleks, okay? And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, or the Amalekites, I apologize. And uh, if you know who the Amaleks are, they're actually the descendants of Esau, which are what basically... Jews themselves. They're Abraham's. They're Abraham's grandchildren and descendants. So we're going to, I want you to keep that in mind as we kind of uh, cover this scripture this morning because it is a sad commentary when we consider the origin of those who oppose God's people and where they came from, how it all came about. And how sometimes conflict can come from within the same bloodline, spiritual bloodline. And so this is what the scripture says, chapter 17, verse 8 through 16. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. 
Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord and the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, it's in your name that we come. It's in your name that we open up the scriptures. It's in your name, Lord, that we search it out and desire and understanding that we might find life in it. Lord, there's people here today that are looking for life. Man, I, dried and wore out and exhausted and beat down. And they need life. And so, Father, as we dissect your word today and as we break it down and we understand it, as we unpack this, speak to each and every one of us that wherever we're at in this journey, that your word, as powerful as it is, would speak to each and every individual. A unique message to each and each and every person that is seated here today. Father, I bless those that are downstairs, those who are serving and investing and pouring themselves into the lives of our children. I bless them. Father, I pray right now for Wayne Lowell, who is recovering from emergency surgery this morning. Though he be in Georgia and outside of our reach, Lord, he's never outside your reach. So I pray, Father, that you would cover that distance, that you would touch his body, and a speedy recovery would be his, a whole and speedy recovery. I pray for the physical needs of this body today as well, Lord. Hidden or, or known needs, Lord, I pray that you would touch each and every one of us this morning who has a need physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Father, I bless my brothers and sisters who have dared to gather here this morning. Uh, Trusting, Lord, that you'll be here and you'll speak. They haven't come to listen to some guy talk. They haven't come to listen to uh, some group sing. They've come to experience you. And they've dared to believe that they could find you here this morning. So I pray, Father, with an anticipating heart that you would deliver this morning for them and this we ask, and this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody have uh, uh, your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, you know, go ahead and get ready. If not, you can follow along with Clark Evans. Let's, let's do this, Clark. All right, Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 8, and we'll, we'll try to move through this uh, relatively quick this morning. This is what the scripture says. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. One of the first things, first couple of things I want you guys to understand is where we're at, all right? It's a place of rest. We just, we just mentioned that. The fact that we're talking about where they were, and it's, it is a place of rest, one of the things I want to deposit into your hearts and your minds this morning is that even in places of rest, we must always be sensitive to internal and external 
spiritual threats. You know what I'm talking about? We, just because we're in a place, a, 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 a referendum of our own lives, a place that we perceive to be a restful place, doesn't mean, man, that we can shut off our spiritual sensitivity to spiritual threats. You know what I'm talking about? We can go into coast mode. Are you with me? You following me? You cannot do that. And then we, we want, want to also look at the win of what's about to happen. We know where they're at. The win is after a blessing. Remember God's uh, divine supernatural intervention, the striking of the rock, the water coming forth. So we have a place of rest. We have a place of divine blessing. And then all of a sudden, out of this place is where the attack comes from. Okay? So I'm just saying to you, I want to, I want to strengthen you in a sense... Uh, to make you aware that when you're in a place where things seem somewhat docile and easy and, and relatively smooth and the blessings of God are just pouring into your lives, Ricky, don't be shocked that in, in that place, in that moment, you're not blindsided by an attack. And that is exactly what happens here. And so we have to be sensitive. I think it's what First Peter, that's what Peter is saying in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. This is what he says, be alert and sober-minded, right? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, be alert and so clear-minded. And so the, the uh, 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 Amalekites, basically, I want you to know this going forth, because they are descendants of Esau. And remember, Esau sowed his birthright. Remember the spiritual birthright? He sowed for some red stew. So when we think about Esau, Esau somewhat kind of represents the flesh, you know, uh, of the appetite of the flesh. And so uh, when, we, when we see this, we want, we want to understand who these people are representing and the spiritual nature of these people. And then this is what the scripture says. The Amalekites came and attacked. Attacked. Now, when you and I read this, we have a, an, a, an initial response to the way this is worded. But I want you to understand as we unpack this, it's not quite the way it reads. The word attacked is in the imperfect tense. And it means over and over and over. When we read this text, we're viewing that they attacked them one time. And then everything just kind of just unfolded. That's not what happens here. As a matter of fact, I know this to be the case because in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 and 18, Moses gives commentary on what was happening here. He literally opens up the, the veil, if you will, and he says, this is how this went down. And I'm going to read to you how this went down. This is Moses speaking in Deuteronomy. He says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So when you understand the imperfect tense of the word attack, you understand that they were basically targeting those stragglers. And one, one translation actually refers to them not as people who were lagging behind, but as stragglers. They were literally picking these people off one by one, the weakest ones first, those most vulnerable, those who had disconnected from the rest of the herd. 
and they were, they were identifying them and taking them out. That's the reason, and this was taking place day after day after day. That's the reason when Moses says, tomorrow we will do this. Because their attacks had become so predictable, Moses was counting on them continuing to do it. So they uh, create this strategy that was going to be uh, fleshed out the next day. And so you can imagine this, right? You can imagine each and every day numbers of people being picked off, those who are vulnerable, the stragglers, those who, who are allowing distance to be created, and they were being picked off, strategically picked off. I, I had just seen, and I had shared this with someone this week, I had watched a, uh, a National Geographic uh, a little documentary, and it was on the Cape Buffalo in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, from August to November, there's this intense drought. And uh, uh, there's, uh, as the, the drought really begins to wreak havoc on the land, uh, there's uh, uh, the last of the water sources. And there's a certain area where that, the, the, the water uh, survives the best, even though it's in low uh, uh, quantity. Uh, when every other stream is drying out, it's the last place that dries out. And all of these Cape buffalo will gather here, along with other animals, including predators like lions. And as I was watching this documentary, you could see the, the predatorial instincts of these lions. Man, they were watching. They were looking for the weak Cape buffalo. They were looking for the stragglers, those who had separated, those who had created distance from the herd. And what would, what would happen is once they had created distance, then the predators would move in, would, would, would uh, disorient them, get them running in the wrong direction, though full speed in the wrong direction. And once they got them confused, separated, going the wrong direction, it was a matter of time, Tim, before they were devoured. And they were devoured. But as the uh, drought went on, the predators no longer cared about whether or not they were the weak ones or not. They began to challenge and even pursue some of the stronger Cape Buffalo. But there was a strategy in that too. They didn't care how strong they were because they had the numbers. If they could only get them separated. So even the strong Cape Buffalo, once they were separated, were vulnerable because of the numbers of the lions. And even some of the leaders of the herd became vulnerable because they too were separated. I want to say to you this morning, my brothers, my sisters, the last thing you can afford to do is to become separated from the body of Christ. I'm telling you, you think, you think you're strong enough? You think this is a lone ranger endeavor? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it will not work. You separate yourself, you, you get enough distance between you and the iron that sharpens you. You get enough distance between you and the accountability of the body. You get enough distance between you and the support and the encouragement of the body. And I'm telling you, you will become a vulnerable victim of the enemy. So you and I have got to make a conscientious decision, right? a conscious decision to remain intact and engaged 
even, even when it's not easy, even when it takes an effort, even when you're exhausted, even when you got a thousand things on the to-do list, you must, you must resolve that I will stay connected. And so these Amalekites were attacking them from the rear and the vulnerable and then the numbers began to diminish as they were being picked off. I like what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 through 25 says regarding the body of Christ. He said, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I like that, don't you? I like that. Let us consider how we may spur. How do you spur one another on towards love and good deeds if you're not in their company? That's a hard thing to do, man. How can I encourage you if I don't see you? How do you encourage me if you don't see me? And he says, on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Some translations will render not giving up as forsaking or neglecting or giving up. The, the Greek word in katalipo literally means to desert. Don't desert. Don't leave behind another rendering. And it actually has a, the connotation of leaving a lack. Well, how do we leave a lack when we forsake the gathering together? I'm going to tell you how we leave a lack. Because you bring something to the table. You bring something to the table that maybe only you bring to the table. And when you're not here, there's a lack and there's a deficit that can't be filled because God has uniquely made you and uniquely gifted you. And I need you. And everyone else here needs you. This isn't a church attendance type sermon. This is a, this is a reality. And not only do we need you, just like you bring something unique, to the body of Christ, everyone else is bringing something unique for you. That isn't just disposable. Look at verse 9. Exodus chapter 7 verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, now this is the first time Joshua is mentioned. Now if you're a student of scripture, you, you, you understand that uh, uh, the, the book of Exodus, Genesis and whatnot wasn't written as it was happening, but this was written uh, with, with, uh, uh, by, by Moses, actually written by God, authored by God, written by Moses uh, in hindsight of the experiences. And the reason I say that is because Joshua wasn't even his name. His name's not changed uh, to Joshua until we get into Numbers chapter 13. Verse 16, his, his actual name is Hoshia. Hoshia, which means salvation. His name is changed to Joshua, which, which means the Lord is our salvation. So if, if, if you're a, a Bible scholar and you, you, know, you, you want that information, there you go. Take that home and chew on that a while. All right? And it says, uh, uh, Moses says to Joshua, right, choose some men 
Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites, right? Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. Now, even though Moses says what Moses just said about him standing on the hill and he doesn't reference anyone else, he actually goes to the top of the hill with two other people, that being Aaron and her. And as difficult it is as it is for you and as difficult as it is for me, we must acknowledge that we need the people of God that God has placed in our lives. No matter how gifted or how strong we think we are, God has placed people in our lives and it comes all the way back to not forsaking and the gathering together. We need one another. And so Moses makes this statement. Another thing that the scripture says right here, or doesn't say, and this might be even more important, Carl, is the fact that it doesn't, it doesn't say that Moses prays in this moment. It doesn't say that. But we conclude that Moses' response was one directed by God, right? Because we see the outcome. What an awesome benefit. What an awesome benefit when we, as the followers of God, live a life of, of, of such a, a magnitude that the, the decisions that are being made in our lives reflect prayerful thought and consideration before making them to the extent that people automatically assume that we're praying about our decision making. Isn't that an awesome thought that we can look at this scripture and we can automatically, automatically identify Moses is a man of prayer. If this is the decision that he's making, then surely to goodness he's prayed about it. It's consistent with his character. Isn't that an awesome thing when you come to someone and you say to them, hey, I've made this decision. And that person listening to you said, I know that was prayed over. He didn't have to tell me he prayed about that. He didn't tell me he, had to, he fasted about that. I know he did that. That's who he is. That's who she is. It's a given. And so Moses is directing Joshua. Now in this moment, does Joshua say, hey Moses, hey, before I go out there and lay the sword down, I need to know, did you pray about this? Did you, have you spent time with God before you give me these directions? And this is the crazy thing. Now, let me read this and I'll, I'll tell you. It says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. All right? Now, Joshua's got a role in this, right? He's, going, he's, a, he's a fighter. He's a fighter. And then Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. They have a role as well. Now, the, the funny thing about this is that if you're Joshua and you're not trusting God and you're not trusting Moses and Moses tells you, hey, we're going to the top of the hill and you go out there and you fight the good fight. Listen, if, if you're that guy, you might say, oh, let's reconsider the strategy here. You're going to the high hill, and I'm going into the valley of warfare. Oh, oh, oh. Ah, I'm not subscribing to that notion. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can almost imagine that, right? As Moses says, you go there and do that, and we're going here. That's a hard sell, isn't it, if you're not trusting God and not trusting Moses? And Moses being directed by God? 
That's a hard sale. But if you do trust, and you do believe, you just grab your sword, man, and you start walking towards the battlefield. That's a powerful commentary on the character and person of Moses and the trustworthiness of God. But each of them have their own role in this. Moses, Aaron, and her. Joshua and the men that he have chosen. And what's kind of weird sometimes, man, when we look at the church and we're looking at people's responsibilities and, and the way uh, uh, we handle certain things and whatnot and people handle certain things in their lives. It's kind of funny. One of the things I've come to experience, uh, Darcy, is that how people will resent other people because they're not engaging in the war the way they're engaging in the war. You know what I mean? Well, this is how I fight the battle. I post on Facebook. Okay. So you need to post on Facebook. Nah, I ain't post on Facebook. And then other people say, well, this is how I fight the battle. And if you don't fight it like me, then I'm going to resent the, that you're not engaged the way I'm engaged. And we don't understand that some people are on the hill, some people are in the battlefield. We're all called to the battle, but we're all called to perform in different facets of the battle. And every one of them are absolutely necessary. So as, a, as a, opposed to the idea of, a, of looking at someone else and saying, you need to be fighting it the way I'm fighting it. Because what Moses and Aaron and her accomplish on the hill can't be accomplished if they're down there doing that. Right? And not only that, let me say this. It's hard to be faithful in carrying out your responsibilities in the spiritual warfare when you're consumed about how other people are fighting the fight. I'm not talking about being concerned about whether people are engaging or not. We should be concerned about whether people are engaging. But whether or not they're engaging the way we're engaging is a whole different ballgame. And it's hard to fight the fight you've been called to fight when your mind is consumed with, are they fighting it like I'm fighting it? Now, what if Joshua goes out there and he's engaged in warfare, hand-to-hand -hand combat, and he's consumed with looking up there at that hill, seeing what they're doing? It doesn't take long for him to die. It doesn't take long for a death blow to be delivered at that moment. And whenever we get consumed with other people fighting it the way we're fighting it, we become extremely vulnerable in the warfare. As a matter of fact, this happens to Peter kind of, right? Doesn't Jesus deal with Peter on this? When we look at John chapter 21, let's read a few verses here. You remember when Jesus is restoring Peter after Peter has denied him? Remember Jesus appears and, you know, he's out there and, and they're around the campfire. And, and, and remember Jesus says to them, hey, hey, Peter, hey, Cephas, do you love me? You remember this story? Peter said, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. You remember this three times? Well, this thing is just unfolded right here. And then Jesus says this to Peter. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll be stretched, you're, you, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. 
When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? How's he going to die? That's what he's saying. Is he getting stretched out too? Is he getting dressed too? Is he getting led too? You know what Jesus says to him? The gentle, sweet Jesus that we worship and adore. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Oh, Jesus, be gentler. Be softer. He said, what is that to you? And then he says these words to him, you must follow me. Don't be worrying about what I've called them to do. Let them do it. You concern yourself about what I've called you to do, and you do that. And so, so the scripture goes like this. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now, some of your translations, it'll render that in the singular hand, and that's correct. That would be the Hebrew. The Hebrew word there is in a singular sense. So he was holding up his hand, the staff, but every translation you go through, when you get down to the next verses, it's then plural, hands. And you say, what's the difference, Trent? I, I just want to keep it real for you. This cat's 80 years old, right? At least 80, 80 in some months. And so he's holding his staff, and he gets tired, and he's holding his staff, and he gets tired, and he's holding his staff, and he gets tired. Right? Right? I mean, some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, we sing four songs. We may sing five songs. At the end of the fifth song, you're like, man, I'm tired. I got to sit down. I hope Trent doesn't think I'm being blasphemous. But I'm tired. I'm just wore out. Moses, 80-some years old at this point, 80 and some days, fatigue sets in as it would. He's not exempt from fatigue. He's human. And you can see him moving the staff maybe from hand to hand. And it said, when Moses' hands drew tired, both hands, now it's plural, when his hands grew tired, and they will grow tired, even for people like Moses, you will grow tired. And I'll tell you why. Because intercession is spiritual labor, and spiritual labor is fatiguing and exhausting. Hence, we need one another again. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Right? You can see this? Hey, throw that picture up there, Clark. Do you have that? <laughs> now, Aaron is three years older than Moses. He's 83. Right? Her's not a young cat either. If you go into Exodus, I think it's Exodus 23, we find out that, that her is a grandfather himself. 
Most Jewish historians and traditions suggest that her was the husband of Miriam who was older than Moses. Remember, she looked after Moses when he was placed in the Nile. Remember? So these are three old cats on the top of a hill. And they recognize that Moses is fatigued and they recognize that every time the intercession ceases, the battle's being compromised. So they grab a stone. That's what the scripture says. They took a stone. They didn't move Moses to a stone. They, these two old cats picked up a stone. You can see it, right? Hey, Aaron, I'm three. <laughs> I'm three. And then Aaron looks at her and says, okay, don't bend at the waist, bend at the knees. Right? Ergonomics. They lift a stone up. They lay a stone down. I said, hey, Moses, take some of the weight off your feet. And the scripture says, Aaron and her held his hands up. Leave that picture up. Put that picture back up. They held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. You can see it, right? Holding his hands up. Maybe at this moment the staff is being held in both hands equally weak and equally supported. Weak hands under great support are strong hands. And they steadied his hands, as the scripture says, till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And here's the question I'll pose to you now at this place in the scripture. Do you have people holding up your hands? It's hard to do if you're not around them, you see? It's hard to do, Ricky. I can't hold your hands if I'm not engaged with you. Do you have Someone holding up your hands? And let me ask you another question. Are you holding up someone's hands? Is someone fighting the good fight and they're exhausted and fatigued? And they're interceding for all their worth. And in the moment of fatigue and exhaustion, they're looking for you. Where is my brother? Where is my sister whom I had supported and now I'm exhausted and I need them? I was watching at Cape Buffalo, National Geographic, and there was one episode of it where they had isolated this, this bull. Two or three lines, Dwayne had jumped on its back. And one had grabbed hold of the back of the leg and 
they were bringing it down, you could hear that Cape Buffalo squalling. Squalling, calling out. The narrator of the documentary said, it's a cry for help. Cape Buffalo. Where are you at? Then all of a sudden you could hear the rumbling. And here come rushing in two or three large Cape Buffalo. And they started beating off these lines. It's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful sight. When we've experienced people holding us up, Ben, that should place in us a deep recognition of how important it is to be there to hold them up. This thing in the body of Christ is a spiritual, reciprocating effort of love, encouragement, and strength that is given and received, exchanged. Let's close, okay? Because we're running through this scripture here pretty quick. Let's read these last few verses. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Mm. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because his hands... Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. And the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now we can close right there. And we can say we navigated this portion of the scripture. We read it. Let God speak to you. But there's something in this scripture that is so desperately needed to be shared. And so in closing, I'm going to share it, Jay. And it's at the very top, verse 14. He says, write this on a scroll with something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. <laughs> why is that important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Joshua is the next leader, right? We know this. He's the next man up. And he's going to be fighting with these Amalekites. Scripture just said that. But he says to Moses, make a record of this so Joshua know it. You know what he wants Joshua to know? The victory that was won today, Joshua, wasn't won with a spear and a sword. Don't think what you did on the battlefield was the turning point, was the difference maker. Joshua is not aware of what's taking place on the hill. He's down there engaged in battle. He may come away from that at the end of the day when the sun sets. He may come back and say, man, did we put it to those cats or what? There were a few moments where things got desperate, but at the end of the day, man, I really brought the thunder, man. I laid it on them cats. I laid them to waste. And God says to Moses, you make sure Joshua knows this battle wasn't about Joshua. You let him know in those moments when victory was there, it was because people were interceding. People were there and I was there.
And the reality in our lives is that the enemy, Daniel, the enemy will give us temporary victories by the way of our flesh because he wants us depending on our flesh. Are you with me? He'll give you temporary victories in the flesh so you'll become dependent on the flesh. And he'll let you slide by for so long. And then all of a sudden, man, I'm telling you, this is the way it works. It works for me, it works for you, or it works against us. Man, things get easy. Then all of a sudden, the need to intercede isn't quite there. The need to be present and lifting and holding and being lifted isn't quite there. And we are making up ground. We're winning battles in our own strength. And then all of a sudden, the enemy allows us some distance out there. Some victories. And man, we really get proud. We really begin to think, it's in me. Then all of a sudden, because all the spiritual and prayerful support has been dislodged, separated from, the enemy just slides right in. And we're exposed. We're exposed. You know what I'm talking about when you're in that, that season of your life where you go four or five weeks and you think, man, life's really doing good. All this stuff's behind me, whatever else. And that's the enemy just giving you enough line. Just giving you enough line. And then he just jerks you back violently at the worst of times and then it all comes crashing down and you realize. You realize I've trusted myself too much. And you know as well as I know, the last person you want to be trusting is yourself. That's what the scripture says. No one can know the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Man, when we begin to park in our own confidence in that lane, we begin to say, man, this is where I'm living. I'm living in my strength, in my wisdom, my knowledge, my skill, my strengths. You know what I'm talking about? My, My talents. And all of a sudden, it's all exposed. It's all exposed. And it just doesn't provide you what you needed in that moment when you needed it most. God says to Moses, of all people who needs to know this, Joshua needs to know it. Needs to know it. And I wonder what Joshua thought the first time he reads that. Leslie, I wonder what he thought. Oh, that's what you were doing. And I thought that was me. I really thought I was really doing something. But that's what was really happening. And I want to tell you, when the real victories come in your life, the real breakthroughs come in your life, the substantial growth really comes in your life, It's on the back of intercession. It's on the backs of prayers. It's on the back of spiritual laborers and spiritual labor. It's not because you're smart. It's not because you're pretty, you're handsome. It's not because of those things. You're educated. It's not... It's because of the spiritual labor. And what God has invited you into, what God has invited me into, 
is to participate in the lives of one another. One another. I had a friend who's here this morning who hadn't been in a while. His job's crazy. And, and I know, and I told him, I said, man, I lived that life for 25 years. I understand. He's, he's got to provide, and they're, they're working long hours, long days. But when he came in this morning, I saw him. <laughs> when I walked in, man, it just swelled up in me. Because everything in me just wanted to go over and say, I don't, I don't really know what you're going through. But can I take some of that from you? Can I take? Can I lift you? Can I raise your arms up? And he encouraged me, embraced me. You know what I felt like in that moment of just seeing him? I felt like my arms were being lifted. And God has called us to serve one another in similar fashion. To trust in God above our own means, Ronnie. And to take our place, to man and occupy the place God's called us and do the heavy lifting that is needed in the lives of our brothers and sisters that God has called us to. And to be willing to accept the help when we need our own arms lifted. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Carrie's going to come just for a moment. Just for a moment. If you would just close your eyes just for a second. I know what you're thinking, man. I just... I know... You got a thousand things racing through your mind with your heads, heads bowed just for a moment. You got a thousand things racing through your mind. You got a thousand things you've got to get done. A thousand responsibilities. I know. But all those things become a little bit easier. when our lives are anchored in Jesus, when out of that relationship flows every effort of our life, when we know that God has put people around us to lift our heart, and listen, some of you know this. Some of you know beyond this shadow of a doubt that God has placed people in your lives. I know this. I have people in my life who are encouragers and lovers, and they give me strength. They hold me up. They intercede for me, and I want to be faithful to do that for them as well. God has placed people in your life like that. And God is wanting you to be a person like that into the lives, into the lives of others. So, where where are you at this moment? Have you found yourself fatigued and weakened, straggling, vulnerable, 
separated, a distance created. Arms heavy. Is that you this morning? Well, what I I believe the Lord would want to do for you this morning is to empower you, to encourage you, and to strengthen you. To be an agent of intercession for the body, for your brothers, for your sisters, and in so doing, become a recipient of intercession. I believe God wants to give you eyes to start looking for people to intercede for. And God is wanting to give you a heart and a mind to receive intercession from the people that God has placed around you. What's holding you back? Man, that sounds like a win-win plan. God's plan sounds like a win-win plan. Why not subscribe to God's plan? Why not walk in God's plan? So we're just going to wait a minute. I'm open. These altars are open. They're always open. I'm, I'm not even sure why I say that. The altars are always open. We want to give you a minute.